Hey, hockey fans, T-Boz is 13-3 and three here with another top-shelf guest, All-American, multiple national champion, winning us Division Three coach in the nation at St. Norbert's College, Tim Coughlin. This episode is sponsored by Market & Johnson, Parker Insurance, Valley Sports Academy, Northwoods Therapy & Associates, and Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, which has been committed to the health care needs of patients in western Wisconsin since 1954, the orthopedic surgeon and athletic trainers serve many area schools in the Chippewa Valley. Mogi. Well, thanks so much for coming over here, Coach Coglin. Uh, initially, we were planning to go to your place at Norbert's, and then we're going to make our swing to the UP where we're going to do uh, Grant Patolny from uh, Northern Michigan, and we're going to do Blake Piedla from uh, Michigan Tech, the CCHA goalie of the year. But evidently, you had something going on in the Twin Cities today, and it was able for you were able to come by through here and and stop here for us, kind of save us a night on the road, which is which is kind of good. So, what's, I, I appreciate being here yeah. certainly uh, on both behalfs, and I'm going to give you both a small tip right now because of all the, uh, I guess St. Norbert's been around since 1898, and it's St. Norbert. There is no S. It's like Chippewa Falls or Green Bay's. It really gets under the skin of the folks at St. Norbert when you call it St. Norbert's. So we've, we've corrected more Ouch. than one uh, person. So we'll, we'll start on that note and then we'll see if the gloves come off. St. <laughs> Norbert. Yeah. Fair enough. Got it. Well, Got it. And, and, Sorry. Yeah. No offense. I, no offense. I, I am passing through. There's some high performance evaluations going on uh, uh, over St. Louis Park area uh, and some of the young Minnesota players. And then also uh, the NIT, which is uh, putting on uh, basically it's a, a showcase round robin between some high school players. Uh, that were selected and nominated by their coaches to play against Michigan, against North Dakota, and against Minnesota. So they'll play a four-game round-robin set. My son is also partaking in that as a uh, junior at Notre Dame Academy. So he'll be on his way over here shortly, too. Let's talk a little bit about our introduction here. We're going to go backwards. Uh, normally, we start with, uh, you know, where are you from and that sort of thing. But winningest coach. You just had your 625th win, and how does that feel to have that under your belt right now? Well, yeah, that was fall semester, and it, it kind of, you know, just, I don't spend a lot of time uh, talking about and thinking about those things. It's it, it, Most currently, we just had a wrap-up banquet from the end of the year, and of course, you're, you're actually looking at the bitter pill that we went out uh, earlier than we have since 2001. So we've got other agenda items. Now we're in the thick of recruiting. And I mean, I, I understand I, I've made this comment to more than one person. It's it, it may, maybe it's a longevity award. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's but it's been good. It's been a great place for us uh, to live and work and certainly to raise a family. And Green Bay has been a great town. St. Norbert has been a fantastic school for me personally, aligns in our family values and our belief system. And um, I think that's probably why Joseph, my son, chose Notre Dame Academy, which is also a Norbertine school. St. Norbert College is the only four-year higher ed school in the world that is a Norbertine school, but the Norbertines have lots of high schools and lots of grade schools all over both uh, Europe and North America. So there's there's schools that are Norbertine schools, but St. Norbert College is the only four-year accredited higher ed school. So coach, you mentioned that you're in the thick of recruiting right now. So what does that look like for St. Norbert? Yep. So we, so, you know, we, we play a little bit of a long game as most of the division three guys do. I know you've had Matty Lone in here before and, and you've had some other Luke Strand who was a D three guy for a period of time. And I'm so 
proud for him and happy for him for him to be at Mankato. It's just um, one of the joys of of sitting in my chairs watching the success of others and what guys have been able to do both as coaches and as players and certainly that's a highlight so you know we're all watching the end of the junior season come and go so right now the north american league playoffs will kick up that means some teams are already eliminated and some of those players who you had recruited throughout the year are all of a sudden now with the stark reality that it's time to move forward and well we didn't want to interfere with their schedules during the year we just try to make sure periodically we poke them a little bit pop in watch a game say hello make sure they know our intention uh we're really asking at this time you know during the year we're we're asking guys if the division one opportunity doesn't come your way that we're all hoping does and we do hope that it does because that means we're in on the right kids um by all means then just you know consider saint Norbert as your division three option and once we hear kids say you know that's my number one choice if i play division three then we obviously focus more closely and intently on those players. So there are some of those players who uh, seasons have just come to a bit of an abrupt end, um, didn't make the playoffs, and now there are others who are in the playoffs and they're they're trying to make deep runs. And they're, they're doing it in the North American League. They're doing it in the USHL, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan. Those are pretty much the all of the junior leagues that we monitor very, very closely. We do everything in person uh, and we recruit one for one. So if one goaltender goes out, one goaltender comes in. Two defensemen are going out the door. We need two defensemen coming back, and in this case, five forwards. So uh, our recruiting class is – our list is always longer and deeper than necessary because we the reality is we just don't get all those kids, even though we've identified them as our top kids. They have other choices too. So no Mon- no uh, Manitoba or Ontario on your recruiting? You know, Manitoba's – I mean, it, it's hit and miss for me. It's um, – We've never had uh, great success on the Manitoba side. I've made that drive before, and I've gone up to watch a kid that's a 100-point scorer, and I'll watch 20 minutes of the first period, and I'll be like, that kid can't play. And so the statistical side of Manitoba, for whatever reason, has been skewed in my mind. Uh, Ontario is just too far headed the other direction and there's too many schools division three schools division one schools that are just south and they just go straight up right so with my background being from british columbia a uh, long time assistant coach with me aj aiken who now coaches our women's program aj's from alberta um he was with me for three national championships our natural ties were out west and so really when we started when i started the saint Norbert program i started with going into non-traditional markets and getting kids that saint Norbert who was recruiting high school kids only at that time, um, you know, but they couldn't play at the level at which the NCHA competes. When you're out recruiting and you've got a potential kid on the bubble, whether it's Division One or, or maybe looking at another D3 school, what do you tell them that you have to offer that other D3 schools may or may not have? Well, the, the first thing we do is we encourage strongly for every family that has interest to visit. Visit us, visit all of the people you're interested in. We think the campus at St. Norbert sells itself. It's a beautiful little school. Most people who have never walked on campus know the name, but but they've never actually seen it. Um, it's, it's impressive to see $150 million worth of new construction in the last 12 years on campus. Uh, people who walk it and you know it's a campus of about 2,000, it feels much more like 3,500 or 4,000 because of its layout. The footprint is excellent. Uh, our academic success talks uh, to itself. I mean, 
every one of my players since 1995, every one has graduated on time in four years. All of them. Everyone? Everyone in four years. Yeah, since 1995. Every guy. That's a hell of a legacy right there. Well, even this year, this was the highest academic record. I think we we do a little little, uh, fun thing uh, by position. So we actually uh, create a little GPA grid. So who's the smartest player? Is it your goaltenders? Is it your decor? Or is it your forwards? So this year we had 15 players of our 26-man roster, 15 on the Dean's list at St. Norbert. And uh, of the forward group, the cumulative 14 group of forwards, cumulative grade point average was 3.42. And then our goaltenders were 3.753. And our decor was actually 3.753. Five. So by two one hundredths of a point, our uh, our decor ended up being the smartest group this year. So just something different, right? So as a former defenseman, that must have made you pretty darn proud, right? <laughs> you know, Brando, who's at Wisconsin now, Andy was with me for five years, and he saw when the uh, when the NCHA came out with the all conference and 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 the fact that the uh, the players we had fifteen kids on the dean's list. He said, "You guys might be too darn smart to win those gritty <laughs> games. We'll have to see." So that's uh, that's a whole different equation. You know, uh, a few years ago, Peyton Manning was interviewed at the end of his second Super Bowl with uh, uh, his second team, and and the uh, announcer was talking to him about all these records, second Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera, and all he said in response was, "That means I'm just getting old." <laughs> well, you've got you've got you know 625 plus wins, multiple national championships. Are you getting old or are you just on track to, you know, tackle more in the future? Well, I was talking to Mogi upstairs and we we are fairly similar I think in terms of years of marriage. So I've, I've been married 32 years here in May and Mogi is you 35 or yep. yep. So uh and I still have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old, so I think technically I'm really young still, I think is what it boils down to. <laughs> I like you, it. You're older because your kids are grown. You're not, but when you have young kids, you're, you're still a young guy. So, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, like I said, it's uh, the most rewarding thing, I think, sitting in my chair is actually watching what all of our guys are doing, uh, whether they're coaching hockey like some guys are, uh, or uh, we have a, a pancreatic specialist who works up at the Toronto General Hospital. Uh, he's got his own little medical setup up there. His wife's also a doctor. They both graduated from our place. Um, so we, it's you know attorneys, dentists, doctors, finance guys. Basically, what I've done is secure my own little uh, group of okay now it's your turn to take care of me and so i got a finance guy i got a dentist i got a doctor i got an eye doctor and they all played for me at one time or another <laughs> well i guess i guess so you you're investing it. in your own future weren't you <laughs> hey joe, joe balderota uh, the old uh, stevens point coach used to say the thing about coaching division three hockey is the hours aren't very good but at least the pay sucks too <laughs> Okay. Classic Baldy line. <laughs> I heard him at a couple of clinics. He was quite the character. Uh-huh. Uh, prior to turning on the mics, you talked about uh, some of your success being the assistant next to you uh, through the years, and you've never gone without somebody good next to you. Give our listeners a little bit of history of the people that have stood next to you and where they've ended up. Yeah, so when I, when I uh, was at Stevens Point, I was the assistant, and then I took the job at St. Norbert back in 93, 94, and I made one phone call, and it was to Rob Nicholson. Rob is uh, s- since uh, deceased here just a f- about five years ago now, but very well-known hockey name in Green Bay, around the old Green Bay Bobcat locker room, uh, was, a, was a draft pick of the Philadelphia Flyers, good friend of, dear friend of Mark Mazzolini's, who was my coach at Stevens Point. It's a very hockey 
hockey world's a small world. And I called Nikki and I said, if I come to Green Bay, will you help me? Will you help coach? And he was the first guy I had on staff for the first six years. We had another uh, local Green Bay kid named uh, Kip Caracas, who uh, was a goaltender at St. Norbert, graduated in 1988 from St. Norbert, the year before they technically became a varsity program in 89. Um, and Kip was in town. And so I hired Kip and Nikki, and they were our first two. Um, when uh, my captain, Corey Boris, uh, graduated, he's a Yorkton, Saskatchewan kid. Nikki was getting ready to move on. Nikki actually uh, became the president of the Green Bay Gamblers and stayed in the USHL when they made the transition from the old Brown County Arena to the Rush Center. And there was an ownership change between John Stoffaker and then the uh, who, who started the Gamblers program when Donna Granado was coaching in 1995, I think they started in Green Bay. So I was in just the year before that. So it, Nikki was the guy who kind of knew everybody in town. He was like the mayor. I mean, you walk into a bar or you walk into a restaurant and he's, you know, guys light up and they all know Robbie. And so I really had the benefit of Robbie introducing me to a lot of people in town, very influential guy uh, in a fun way and a hockey guy, you know, through and through. And then when he was stepping away, I actually hired Corey Boris, who was uh, my captain uh, and it was his first year out of college. And so we hired him uh, in the full-time capacity. Um, Corey, then when Corey left, he actually went on and became the head coach at the college. College of St. Scholastica. Corey has since moved back uh, to Green Bay and his wife and, and kids are, are being raised in Green Bay now. Um, and during that time, uh, there was a knock at the door and it was Luke Strand who uh, uh, in the 99-2000 era uh, had retired from playing and his wife took a position in Green Bay and so he was moving to town. He just came and asked if he could work hockey school. We rolled that into why don't you volunteer with us this year? And then within two years, Corey got the St. Scholastica job. Luke was automatically rolled into the full-time position that's really how he got his hooks into into the college game and and um you know i can't say enough about luke i just i've got all kinds of time for him and uh how hard he's worked at what he's doing and it's impressive and we're all proud of where he's at now um and then there was uh we hired aj aiken who uh, was again a kid that I actually recruited from Western uh, from Western Canada. He ended up blowing up his, his last year of juniors. He led the Alberta League in scoring. Michigan Tech came in, scooped him up, and then. But guess what? When he needed a job, he came and knocked on the door. But he needed a job. He was living in Green Bay, <laughs> so we uh, we hired AJ, uh, and then we had also with us at the time we had Mike Skijinski and Scudder went on to become the head coach at Lawrence University for 15 years. Uh, coach Scudder, um, and that just, it, again the list just continued to roll. AJ was with me for. 12 years and three national championships. And then he became the head coach at Marion university down actually competing against us. Uh, at that point in time, I hired Ryan Peterson, who was my captain on the first national championship team and was the captain of the green Bay gamblers. Uh, when we recruited him, uh, as a 20 year old, much like we're doing on this trip right now with 20 year old players that seasons have come to a conclusion. And I had PD for three years. I think it was like 13, 14, a national championship at 14 and then 15, PD jumped to the USHL and spent actually a year with uh, Troy Ward, was with Luke Strand and was with Troy and then had been on staff with the Green Bay Gamblers until this regime changed last year. Uh, and that's actually when Brando left and, and went to Wisconsin. So this whole little intricate shuffle of players, guys coming and going. And it's, it's been it's been really interesting. But like I said, I think I'm, I'm the luckiest uh, hockey coach uh, in college hockey because we have uh, always seemed to have the right guy 
in the program at the right time. So AJ makes the AJ makes the move. Uh, Brando ends up coming in. Um, uh, was a head coach and general manager in Atlanta with East Coast Hockey League Atlanta Gladiators. Uh, had a very good pro career with the Glads too. So he had been out east for ten years, I think, something like that, as a player and an assistant coach. And there he's from Wausau originally, and his wife is from Wausau. And it was time for them to kind of get moving back. So he rolled seamlessly into the associate head co- uh, coach position and was with me for five years. And we won the title in eighteen. And then Brando had the opportunity most recently to join the Badgers. So. So, um, you know, that, that whole, the whole coaching circle is, it's just very, very small and you really do appreciate all of the people around you. And in every case, whether, uh, good terms or bad term, every single one of those guys that's ever worked within our program and have ever worked, uh, together and collaborated, they've always stayed in touch. They've always stayed in touch with the program and they continue to support us at the highest level. And I think that's, again, one of those joys that you look back on and you're very comfortable and satisfied that you've done your part to try to help them to a better, just week we do with our players. Um, but the staffing has been nothing short of fantastic all of the years that I've been there. You've been one hell of a mentor to many people. And so you, as you sit back and look at that, not only you've got to feel good about your, your legacy as far as a coach uh, to players and, and how many games you've won in the national championships, but it's got to be a good feeling to see these people go beyond what you had with them and succeed in other areas. Yeah, and you know, right now we've got a player too who's actually actively involved. Uh, Toronto got stomped pretty good the other night, right? Uh, yeah, just, uh, just a little. But, but but Spencer Carberry, who is one of their assistant coaches, is a graduate of ours. He graduated in two thousand six. Uh, he played in the East Coast Hockey League beyond Saint Norbert. Uh, we kind of helped him back on his feet when he came to us. He was a division one uh, player at Anchorage uh, and it didn't pan out for him. And he was kind of looking up like there's got to be something for me to do. And we ended up finding him at the right time. He was a three-year player for us, turned into an All-American, turned into a pro hockey player, uh, ended up being a very good pro hockey player in the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, Ultimately that rolled into a, I'll never forget. I was in the parking lot at the Cornerstone and Carbs (laughs) called me and he goes, Coach Coggs, they just named me head coach of South Carolina Stingrays. I'm going to need some help. <laughs> so that's not that long ago for Spencer Carberry, who now, by the way, is recognized as a forerunner, a front runner in every single NHL job that's open, including the Washington Capitals and include, I mean, his name's in there right now. So he goes on to a very good coaching career as a, as a East Coast Hockey League gets named coach of the year. And then he goes to the American Hockey League. He gets named coach of the year. He spent a year up in Windsor, I think, with, in the OHL and now now is on the bench in Toronto. And think, think about this. Would you like to have this power play when you're out there with all Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, and that's your power. That's the group of guys that you get to work with. So even though they got beat seven uh, three in the in the opener, his power play scored two out of the three. So uh, always cheering for Spencer, and I know that uh, good things are going to come his way. So uh, you talked a little bit about uh, that your former player coming to you uh, saying that he's going to need some help from you. So back when you were a freshman at Stevens Point, you had an assistant coach named Rob Taylor. Yep, and. Uh, Rob's a good buddy of mine, and JC knows him. He played with us on Wednesday nights, and Rob said he was a fifth-year senior, and he got the assistant coach's job. He didn't have any 
idea what he was doing with the defenseman. He said, you were the one who came up with the drill so you could have something to do during practice. Is that true? Well, <laughs> Coaching way back you know, then? The, 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 le- the legend of Rob Taylor might be growing in his own mind. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I, I don't recall it that way. What I do recall is when I was a junior player, I, I was a centerman. I was playing center up in BC. And uh, Coach Mazzolini recruited, found us and recruited us. He was actually working at Illinois, Chicago at the time. And he took some young players off our roster. But then in transition that year, he jumped over to point. So that's like 85 era. And so he jumps over to point and now he goes back to his list and he's like, okay, now where are the 20 year olds? Cause he was recruiting younger kids at Illinois, Chicago at, at yeah. circle. And so then he ends up like three of us came out of BC that year uh, to play. And we were so bad. We were a three win team in Stevens point. We were a three win team. So we weren't getting recruited to anything other than a chance to come play college hockey. And um, I remember going through training camp and uh, I, I actually used to run the power play as a centerman, I ran the power play, I ran on top of the power play uh, in the BC Hockey League. And so all of a sudden I get through and, and Coach Maz says to me, uh, you're the best defenseman we have here. So if you want to play D, you could play a lot of minutes. I said, sure, coach, whatever you want. So that was, that's how my, that's how my uh, defensive position play happened. And I played the next uh, four years for Coach Maz, uh, Robin, Joe Balderota, uh, all of those guys uh, won a national championship in 1989, my senior year. And then I actually got a call from uh, – we get back from RIT. We win the national championship. We're playing RIT at RIT, even though Stevens Point was the higher ranked team. It still was an Eastern bias in the sense of, you know, it was going to, the tournament was going to be in the East. And you're playing then two out of three with a mini game. So you played two out of three series with a mini game. And you needed a win and a tie, as, as you still do. Um, and, and you watch these overtime games. We end up winning the national championship. Uh, 3-2, Sean Wheeler, player I talked to you guys earlier about, uh, actually scores the, the third goal to put us in the, in, into the national championship circle. Uh, and so now the, the party's on. I think Mazzolini put his credit card on the bar out in uh, Rochester. Ooh, uh, I, I know that the fire department came because everybody had big stogies going and the bar, all the fire alarms went off. And so we had to <laughs> empty into the parking lot at like three in the morning. Um, so fast forward that that's now, that's now Sunday morning at three and now it's Monday morning and I'm back in my apartment at Stevens point and the phone rings and it's Brian Burke of the Vancouver Canucks. Hey, Tim, uh, we'd like to have you in Milwaukee skating with the admirals on Tuesday. Yeah, okay, bro. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a bit of a stretch, but that's how it all sort of played out for me as a defenseman. So you got injured. Yes. You, hurt, you hurt your shoulder. What was, what was the impetus for the injury? Yeah. You know, I, I had had a shoulder issue, um, in, in college it had dislocated before. And the decision, when I got the opportunity to sign a training contract with Vancouver, uh, basically Jack McCartan, the goaltender on the, on the 60 Olympic team, Jack came down to watch us play Bemidji one night. And then he caught me after the game and we had a conversation about the Canucks and their interest at that point in time. Um, and so I, I kind of made the decision, uh, that it was going to be best just to rehab and get strong and go to training camp. Fast forward, probably bad idea. I mean, it was, it was a, I was a long shot to begin with going into an NHL training camp. So I, took a long shot at it and I got into a tilt with a guy, a big guy, a six, five guy. And it was kind of, he was actually my roommate on the mainland. And, um, we went over to the Island together where they have training camp and, uh, he had put the, I was playing D and he had put the puck past me and I just kind of put wrote him into the boards. And he turned around and two handed me on the back of the leg. These are training camp scrimmages. They're full games, but you've got enough players there that, um, you know, it's, it's going to end up 
you're, you're going to see some tilts. And there were some guys, he was one of them that was just trying to make the roster as a heavyweight because yeah. he was 6'5", 235. And so he cracked me the, the first time I put him in. The, the next time he put the puck by me and he, he kind of gave me another. And I was like, he was my roommate on, you know, I, I, putting the pieces together and you look at everybody's got a different angle as to how they're going to make the roster. So I had made the decision if if it ends up in that situation again, we're, we're going to end up in a tilt. And so, of course, being a big guy, I thought, well, I'm just going to throw a couple and then uh, pull in tight and hang on and see what happens. Uh, maybe, you know, I mean, he's got a picture on the on the cover of the Vancouver Sun with his hands both wrapped in ice bags. And he's the heavyweight champion of training camp that particular year. Right. So uh, sure enough, we we pull in and as we pull in he's because he's getting closer and i got him by the shoulder and dislocate my shoulder out the top now i'm looking right down the gun barrel as i'm down on one knee with a dislocated shoulder and i i just yelled shoulder and he had had shoulder issues and he knew so and he and he was a you know he's he's a tough guy he wasn't gonna take any cheap shots yeah so now fast forward we're in the locker room uh and we're we're sitting beside each other, basically getting undressed and somebody's got to take us to emergency care, uh, the little place in the, in, in the hospital. And the nurse comes in, we're sitting in there and the nurse comes in and goes, what happened to you? And I said, I dislocated my shoulder in a fight in training camp. Said, what happened to you? I think I broke my knuckle in a fight in training camp. She looks at me and she looks at him. She's like, no, we look at each other and go, yeah, 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 that's, that's, that's how she goes. So that, that was, the, that was the beginning of the end for me with Vancouver. Um, uh, but the Canucks were nothing but gracious. I actually uh, was fortunate to be there during the time when the when the wall came down, and so all the Russian players, Igor Larionov, skated with us June, July, and August that summer. Uh, one of the things that I was able to do, having signed a training contract, was go back and be with uh, the veteran guys all of June, July, and August, living and skating with all the guys, and that was a great experience before training camp. And uh, like I said, and then the Canucks did their part and fixed my shoulder, and uh, ended up playing that next. Next year overseas, um, which again Brian helped with, and so, some of the other people, and so I've always been grateful for that. We're going to take a break. Give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors. Northwoods Therapy takes pride in being your choice for physical therapy in the Chippewa Valley since 1981. Northwoods Physical Therapy is a clinic where you can receive the care you deserve and are treated like family. And I'm actually going there right now for my shoulder. And Mogi was there last year for his shoulder. <laughs> I'm a proud alumnus. Tell you what, if you ever go there, tell them uh, the breakout session sent you. Absolutely. <laughs> and Valley Sports Academy, a new, uh, large, state of the art sports training facility located in the Chippewa Valley featuring hockey, soccer, baseball, softball, and new to the area lacrosse. They are devoted to helping athletes reach their next level, utilizing tools like their skating treadmill, rapid shot, rapid hand, synthetic ice shooting lanes, 100% real ice training rink, and Mogi and I actually play hockey there. And uh, that's where I screwed up my shoulder. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Chase, for getting us going on that 50-plus league this year. That was really fun. We appreciate fun. that. So, Coach, when you went over to... Uh, I believe it was Scotland when you when you played in Europe. You were went over there as a player coach. So was when was the time where you were starting starting to think you want to stay involved in the game and coaching was probably the way you were going to be able to do that? Uh, well, technically, we all at that point in time, anybody who was an import was because of how that league was set up. It was the British Premier League, and there was only three imports. And we were actually the third set of imports that year 
for the town that we played for. So there was an NHL player, Steve Gatzos, uh, myself, and then a, a longtime Ontario Canadian kid, uh, Rick Farrow, were the three imports. So you're kind of, you're really all at that point with only three imports and then guys that are the local Scottish guys that are, uh, uh, got jobs, you know, and we're there at work all day and we're just going to the gym and doing our thing. So I think it, it, it it's, the coach part of that is really the part the, of the player direction kind of thing. So it, I, I wouldn't look at that as being a stepping point or a start. Um, you know, I think coaching is something that I've always enjoyed. Uh, when I was playing junior hockey in Salmon Arm, the Shoe Swap uh, Totems was a new franchise and in the BC Hockey League, and I was coaching 11, 12-year-old baseball. I've always had the coach. I loved, I loved working hockey camps. I liked being a part of it. Uh, uh, coach Kuklinski, Tommy Kuk, uh, used to come over and work the hockey schools when i was a player at stevens point he'd work all the point camps and coach kook and i just had a blast with the with the little kids the six seven eight year old so i've always enjoyed coaching i've always enjoyed that part of it um i actually as you think back like when I was young and growing up in BC, I was going to be a motocross guy. I was racing by the time I was 10, uh, BC champion at 14, Canadian national champ, uh, top five in Canada in, in like uh, 1978. Uh, and motocross seemed like it was going to be my path. And then you kind of start to grow a little bit and you realize you're not going to be a motocross guy. Number one, if you don't have a, if you don't have a, a sponsorship at the highest level, we're showing up in a 1977 Ford Torino with a bike <laughs> strapped to the back and we're parked beside the RV where the kid's got a practice bike and a race bike and he has a kitchen that he's eating his food. You know, we're, I'm sleeping in the back of a Torino. So uh, <laughs> you, you start to figure out quickly that you're not going to be a motocross guy. Then it all like the high school coaches. If you look at all the, the the high school teachers, I always thought I might go into teaching or I might be a, a physical education teacher. I always really enjoyed the sports side. Uh, I just always did. So uh, I think coaching has just been a long path for me. I want to go back real quick. <clears throat> excuse me to your college days. Uh, you won a national championship, as you mentioned, as a player. You've won national championships as a coach. Which had more meaning to you? Yeah, you know that's a it's an easy question to answer, and the the easy answer is in in order of sweat, blood, sweat, and tears. When you're a player, it's special. You know, when you're a player, it's special. And for the group of kids that we had playing uh, for Coach Maz and Stevens Point in 1989, uh, very largely stay in very close contact still, right? I mean, I think the the college side. So being a player and being involved in the action at that level is clearly the the best clearly then i was fortunate by the time i came back to point we actually my first year back as an assistant we played the national championship game uh, got beat by plattsburgh out in plattsburgh and then the next year 1993 that would be i was an assistant and we won the national championship as an assistant at point so being a part of that group that was a different experience and then i think that the win the the title win in 08 where it was st norbert's first uh national championship and my first uh in the head coaching position had been a part of it as a player and an assistant uh probably something like that in order okay so let's go back. You you talked a little bit about your time uh, with the Shiswap uh, totems and salmon arm. So tell us about growing up Summerland, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell us so, about that. Yeah, so Summerland actually is was a mega city for us. We we lived in a much smaller town called Westbridge at one point in time. 
and I'm the youngest of five. And so there was mom and dad and a grandma that lived with us. And we had a two bedroom house, uh, in Westbridge. And then he was, my dad was in the sawmill business. He was a millwright and he saw the chance to move to a bigger city, which this bigger city called Summerland was 5,000 people. So we thought we were moving into a mega because <laughs> the town we lived in had 65. Holy 65. Cow. So wow. my, my sister, who's five years older than me, we were in the same classroom. So I was in first grade and the teacher would come to my desk. My sister, who's two years older, was at the desk beside and the teacher would go to her. And then my sister, who's five years older, surely the teacher was going desk to desk. So we truly lived in a very small matter of fact, the, the, uh, uh, the gas station was the post office. So the post office and it was the grocery store and the nurse owned the whole thing. So if you had to see the doctor, you went to the gas station because we were, <laughs> we were two hours from anything. So that, that's all true. So then we packed up and moved to Summerland and that's when the lights kind of went on for me because, you know, I was probably seven at the time. My brother would be 17 and the girls are all in between, but that's sports that opened sports to me that opened things up. And, uh, there was baseball and there was soccer and there was hockey and there was all things that there wasn't in a town of 65, as you can imagine, when the river doesn't freeze over, you can't skate. So um, going, moving to Summerland was was a big uh, a big boon. And even just thinking about like coaching today versus, you know, athletes and parents. And I mean, you, you could do in, in sixth grade. I had never played soccer competitively, but there was an English guy who, who was my sixth grade teacher. And he's like, hey, you're a pretty good athlete. Why don't you come play soccer? So I played on the soccer team. We end up in a tournament in Penticton uh, where, the, where they got a very successful junior team. Think about this now. Just put parents and students in this position. So we're, we, we end up in the soccer tournament. We goes to penalty kicks. He has me kick. I score. Then he goes to the goaltender, our goaltender, and says, okay, you're out. Tim, you're going to play goal for the shootout. And so we end up winning the tournament. But again, think about like a parent today. If your kid is the goalie and all of a sudden you pull him out. So it was a different time, right? It was a different time. It just was. So, But I think the move to Summerland for me was just it really opened the avenue of sports. It just did. Did you have any uh, players that you looked up to or you you know followed in the NHL or even at the collegiate level? Well, I think so. One thing with the Penticton, they were called the Penticton Knights back then. Highly successful. Lots of NHL players have come through Penticton. So, as a young player growing up in Summerland, you're watching those players. All of us aspired to play in the BC Hockey League, which ultimately gets back to your question about the shoe swap totems. So, um, so I think it was the local high school junior player. Those kids, because Summerland was on the semester system uh, versus a, a tri. Uh, system, they would send all of their high school players out to Summerland because it fit the academic calendar better. So the, even though they were playing for the Penticton Knights and they were billeted in Penticton, they would come to school in Summerland. So we would see those guys around the school and that kind of, you know, gets your thinking about, could you play at that level? So I th- by the time I was about Joseph's age, my son now, um, you know, I started to think about, I went and tried out for Penticton. They brought in like 200 and some kids at a training camp and got cut in four days or whatever it was, but got picked up by somebody else. That guy uh, had a, had a program up in way Northern British Columbia, Fort St. John. And uh, it was a bit of a meat league. It was big men with big beards and lots of fights and the stick work and the, you know, the, the chaos that was junior hockey back then, nobody should ever go back to it, but it was like, again, fights in the bleachers, um, bench brawls, line clearing brawls. uh, I mean, it's just, you know, the, 
the amount old of old time. Oh my gosh! It, it, it truly, yeah. it, it, you know, and, and you think about that when you're watching the Broad Street Bullies in the back in the '70s when you're watching the Flyers, and I mean, it truly that that those early '80s. That's that's kind of was the was the was the thing. Uh, so I played up in that. I remember my first uh, playoff game when I was when I was 17. I was playing up in Fort St. John and. My buddy from high school was the goaltender on Prince George, and Ralph Bechtold was his name. And but he was really, really good, and he was he was killing us. I mean, and so our coach says, "Hey, anybody gets a shot at Bechtold, let him have it." So sure enough, probably next shift, puck goes rimming around the wall. Bechtold comes out of his net to get it. I'm the first one coming the other way. Boom! I blow him up behind the net, like just full contact on a goaltender because oh. that's what well, the expect you know it was expected as a seven so i 17 i turn around i try to make my way back to the bench i just get to the edge of the bench and i go to step in hand on my head get back out there and draw a penalty it's like oh that okay. you didn't get a penalty for that well oh. he, he wanted it yeah i was getting a penalty but okay. he wanted me to draw a penalty to balance oh, it up okay get back out there and oh. draw a penalty okay okay so that that truly was my first year of junior experience <laughs> yeah and, then, and what that turned into for me was uh a, a good opening to junior hockey and then the shoe shop totem started that next year um and we had some really good players there and th- that program has evolved into your point the salmon arm silverbacks now so um it's run continuously i think since probably like like 82 83 something like that but the bc hockey league back then was it was the brett hall show like brett was you know he, brett was actually out of shape overweight and brought in as a 19 year old to penticton kind of on his name like nobody had really seen or heard of, he was playing juvenile hockey down at the coast so he comes in his first year and he's playing in penticton and i'm in salmon arm and uh, he just kind of floats around we actually didn't know who brett hall was because we didn't have lineups we didn't have internet we didn't have right we thought joe murphy who was a really good nhl player yeah. too and joe murphy was on that team and he stood out like a sore thumb brett hall did not stand out in in his first year but he still scored like 52 goals Oh. You look at the stat sheet at the end of the year, and the kid's got 52. And you, we didn't even know which one he was because wow. Joe Murphy was that good at that time. Uh, the next year Brett came back, he scored 108 goals in a single season. Still the BC Hockey League record. And then everybody knew who Brett Hall was, right? Uh, yeah. And that was his two years there. And then he obviously went to Duluth and played for Coach 30. And actually, Brian Burke picked him off. He, Brian was an agent at the time. And Brian went in and got uh, Brett out of there and ended up, the story goes on, and Brett becomes who Brett Hall is, the legend of the goal scorer that he is. Yeah. So you're, you're a BC guy. Did your junior hockey out there. How in the world did you end up in Stevens Point, Wisconsin? Yeah, so so Coach Mazzolini again was, uh, I think if you follow his path, he was like six years as an assistant in Illinois, Chicago, which was a D1 program. He jumped to Stevens Point. The year he jumped to Stevens Point, he had been out west recruiting for Illinois, uh, for Chicago. Um, and then he saw an opportunity to become a, a head coach. That just happened to be the time. Actually, I, I was finished. I was in Penticton. Uh, I had asked my last year, I'd asked uh, for a trade because we had coaching change and I'd been the leading school score and you know kind of the the captain and everything in salmon arm and then it was like this is going to be my last hurrah so when it was known that i was going to potentially play somewhere else penticton called and said why don't you just come down here and start skating so i was in penticton skating and like january 10th was the was the actual you had to card all your players and confirm your roster at that point salmon arm wasn't going to get anything for me. They were just going to have to release me. Otherwise, they could keep me on their roster, but then they're burning a roster spot for them. 
And so the idea was, let's just get through January 10th. And like January 7th, uh, I got clipped. And Ian Kidd, I think, who was a captain of uh, North Dakota, Ian Kidd uh, fell down, came sliding across, and he caught me, hyperextended, blew my knee out the inside. So I never did play a game in a Penticton uniform. I was there uh, expecting to get through January 10th. And, and then they went on a deep run and played the Western Canadian Nationals. Uh, and ultimately, they won the National Championship Centennial Cup the next year. So I'm sitting with a leg cast on. I'm in BC. I'm back at my mom's place. And uh, Coach Mazzolini picked up the phone. Now he took the job in Stevens Point. And it's like, hey, would you consider this? And then it, the the guy I was working for at the time at the jock shop, this uh, sporting goods store in, a, in Salmon Arm, supported it 100%. Because I'm the youngest of five, but none of my siblings are college uh products then I went to school that wasn't a thing that we were all doing um and so it, it by going to Stevens Point it really opened a, 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 just a ton of opportunities for me um and coach Mazzolini starting that program was a was again for us to be able to walk in and kind of start on the ground floor that I saw what he did for all those years when he was building that program and how he was building that program and almost took it to a T when I became a head coach and moved to green Bay with a club team and wanted it to become a varsity team. I just, I had a footprint for how it was going to happen. And that's, it's, it's the St. Norbert is the uh, overnight success story that took 29 years. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You had mentioned Bemidji earlier and uh, so now Bemidji state has gone D one St. Cloud, St. Cloud, uh, Mankato. Mankato. They, were all, they were all in the, in the NCHA. Yep. yep. St. Thomas should probably played them here and there. Yep. Um, I understand you had an opportunity to go D one with St. Norbert, but chose not to. Or how did that? How did that all work out? Well, so we, we've looked at it a number of different ways, and uh, the the reality is, if you go back and just clarify the points that you just made, St. Cloud, Mankato, Bemidji, those are Division two schools that played Division three ice hockey. Yeah. And so, like, if you go back in time, when I started at Stevens Point, the big dog on the block was Bob Peters and Bemidji State. Like, they were, they had men on their roster. They were all over Canada. They had tons of junior players. They were really, Don Bros at Mankato, uh, their roster was, and then, of course, Herb Brooks coached St. Cloud in their first year with Craig Dahl. So, uh, I remember we played uh, Coach Brooks's team in Stevens Point in, like, 86. So, but they were all Division Two programs and then the ncaa came out and said if you're a division two program you can't play down you can't play a division three championship because you have support cast you've got extra trainers you've got extra help you have extra assistance there's more funding available to you at a division two school than there is at the division three unfair competitive advantage so the division two schools all had to make a decision and the ncaa forced their hand the reality was when herb brooks took over st cloud they were on the track. They weren't thinking. They were going D1. They were building a, a building. They were going. So having her Brooks there really pushed them first. Uh, Mankato had an inkling that that would be a good thing for them, but didn't want to get after it quite as fast as St. Cloud did. And Bemidji, frankly, went pushing, you know, kicking and screaming. They were like, they were trying to hold on to the last nth time. So they were in the league up until maybe like 97. They were still part of the NCHA. But the reality is they all had to make that move. After we had a nice run of success, maybe into the 
early nineties, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, late nineties, um, there was conversation about expansion on the D one side. And so we did a feasibility study. We looked at all of the metrics of finance and attendance and where we would play and who would schedule us. The good news on the hockey side is that like the big dogs in hockey, they'll play you. You you can get Denver and you can get Wisconsin and you can get, they will, they understand that growing the game in a positive way is an important thing and they're not standoffish about it if they can help you. So we knew we could put together a schedule that would make sense in the West. Then when the whole thing was done and submitted through to the NCAA, the NCAA came back and said, listen, this, this is where we are. You're a division three institution. If you take, you, you can take hockey to one and add a female sport to one, which in our case, it was going to be women's soccer. So you could take, because the women's hockey game hadn't taken off like it is now. So you can take hockey to, to division one and add a women's sport. But you can't stay D3. You've got to elevate all your other sports to Division Two, oh. And so now we're sitting there with no one to play in football, no one to play in basketball on either side. All of the other sports having to go to Division Two almost made it a moot point. So uh, yeah. the, the other alternative was you, you could take hockey to one non-scholarship. So Ooh. that was another sort of moot point. Like if you're out east and you've got some other Division One teams to play, not called North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, you you could probably get you could and, and they did it for a long time. Uh, RIT did it for a long time, and they've got more like institutions to play. Here you got the WCHA, you got the CCHA. I mean, you know, there's no way you're going to go non-scholarship, right? And then there's no way we're going to elevate all of our other sports to Division Two that doesn't exist anywhere. And so our our you know findings said status quo we're d3 and that's that's how it, that's how that played out okay here we're going to give a shout out to a couple more sponsors parker insurance multiple companies multiple products multiple savings see ryan parker who was a hockey coach himself in eau claire wisconsin for all your insurance needs and market and johnson thank you to our friends at market and johnson longtime supporters of the great game of hockey and our youth throughout the chippewa valley Let's talk about recruiting for a second, Coach. When you're out on the road, we've talked about the NAHL, we've talked about the USHL. Is there a particular area that you focus on um, as far as one of those leagues, or is your are you just broad and, and you're looking at at everything that's a potential player coming your way? It, it, it's both. I think there's a there's a certain hint of both. I think that has evolved immensely over time. Um, you know, when when we started, we were fairly narrow focused. We Like as an example, my captain on the 2000s, he's back as my associate head coach now, Ryan Peterson, played North St. Paul, played for the Green Bay Gamblers, was the captain on the Green Bay Gamblers in the USHL. And that's, that's 2005. And then was a freshman with us in 06 and was our captain in 08 on our first national championship team we could get players from the ushl the recruiting piece has gone so big the ushl has separated itself tremendously from the other uh, college eligible leagues in north america it's the best college el eligible junior league in north america it just every single you you walk into a green bay gambler game today and all guys on the left side, all guys down the middle, and all guys down the right side, and all seven defensemen and both goaltenders have D1 scholarships. Yeah. And every building you walk into, that's part because of, I think, what Jeff Jackson did when he left Lake State years ago after he had all those those teams in the 90s that won back-to-back -back and they were in, in it all the time. And, and, and they started the U.S. Development Program. The U.S. Development Program is a huge boon for U.S. hockey. Like, it has been 
a game changer like nobody thought. I, I really do. So they spend a lot of money on the on the uh, sixteen team on the you know and on the, on the older team, but they get really it, they're they're developing hockey players. Just again, if even if you go back just in my time, the number of U.S. players playing in the NHL was a very small percentage, three, four, five percent, and now you're talking 40 percent of players playing in, in in the NHL. Why is that? That's the development side of USA Hockey of how the the national development team has uh changed the scene the the landscape at world juniors all of those kind of big events and so what's happened is the ushl has kind of separated themselves off as that next tier um if you're not a development kid you're certainly playing in the u.s league versus any other junior league out there uh and so it's changed like the kid that plays in the u.s now u.s hockey league now isn't no longer coming to st norbert that's one piece of it the other side of it is um you have to be pretty broad. Like, like we'll watch, I remember saying this years ago, we'll watch 800 to a thousand players play just to condense our list. Cause we see everything in person and we do everything one for one. So if we have one goaltender going out, we just bring one goaltender in. We don't over recruit, uh, all of our kids graduate on time in four years and we kind of keep the roster tight. So we have to make sure that we've done our due diligence across all of the avenues as to, and I, I make this statement to parents all the time. I could fill my roster in October every single year. You just never hear about us at the national level because we're not going to have the right players. We've yeah. got to wait until these players have processed and gone through their development to determine that Princeton's no longer an option. I remember are the best defenseman that's probably ever played at St. Norbert in, in, in the history is a kid named Nick Tibiz, Kettering, Ohio, was playing for the Green Bay Gamblers, high academic kid. Um, I was offered the Fairbanks job in, um, uh, it would have been like 1999, I was offered a head job at Fairbanks. Um, and we didn't have kids at the time. And so my wife flew up. She's a school psychologist by trade. So she had a job before we left Fairbanks. I had the offer before we left Fairbanks. We had to come back and make some decisions. Long of the short is I didn't take the job. The guy that went in there was Guy Godowski, who's at Penn State now. And Guy called me and said, hey, Tim, why didn't you take that job? And I gave him my rationale for what was happening in Fairbanks at that time. They've subsequently fixed a lot of things. Um, so I'm I'm recruiting this boy, Nick Tabiz, out of uh, the Green Bay Gamblers. And there's one other school that's involved, and it's Princeton. So Guy, after doing a really nice job at uh, Fairbanks for five, six years, he ended up jumping and taking the Princeton job, did a really good job at Princeton, is now at Penn State. So he's made really smart, shrewd moves along the way. And uh, obviously, Penn State is a, is a force to be reckoned with. I'm on the I'm on the phone in Chicago, and I'm like, guy, because he's the head coach at Princeton, which is where Nick Tibbs thought he was going to go. So those are the kinds of conversations. And I said, guy, do you have a spot for this kid or not? And he said, no, Tim, I don't. We don't have a spot for him. But in the kid's mind, he was still being recruited by Princeton. Once I was able to get on the phone and say, listen, Nick, Princeton doesn't have a spot for you. I just talked to the head coach. Are you coming to St. Norbert or not? Then all of a sudden, you know, eyes wide open, kid, he comes in. He's a four-year All-American. He's arguably the best defenseman we've ever had play. Goes to camp at the Washington Capitals. High academic kid, crushing it in life right now. Got a couple of young kids. Just spent a year overseas. He and his wife uh, working uh, overseas remotely. And, uh, you know, life is good. Nick Tibb is his world. And, you know, he's thankful and appreciative of having his four years at St. Norbert, like most most of those guys are. So uh, that, that's, that's the bonus time of it all. So you run these kids – they, they all graduate on time. You win national championships. 
how do you how do you put this together, Coach? I I don't want you to give us your special secret sauce because you know all the other coaches who listen to this <laughs> then are going to take your your secrets. But <laughs> oh my gosh, you know how do you do it? I mean these these kids are highly academic and obviously highly athletic and. You put it together and holy mackerel. Yeah, so what, what you see on the D3 hockey side that I think maybe other sports don't correlate as well to, you've got, what, 65 or 67 Division One hockey programs, and then you've got, you know, 81 or 82 Division Three, no Division Two because Division Two has gone away now. Those guys all got their hand forced. So you really got a small number of opportunities. So truly, all of the guys that are recruiting Division Three and coaching Division Three we have one double a athletes if 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 this kid was a football player and he wasn't at wisconsin where they have 85 scholarships big 10 he would be at a one double a school where they have 65 or he'd be at a scholarship division two school where they have 45 you know you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. there's a trickle down there yep the hockey kids either have penn state princeton wisconsin St. Norbert, or that's all they have. So uh, the number of sheer number of players that are playing for those spots makes them highly competitive. We don't have to put up with any stuff. We don't have to have any kids who don't have the same value. So what I like about what we do is we get to recruit the kids that we want to recruit. We we treat it well. We respect the fact that if we offer Mogi a roster spot, that roster spot is yours for four years. What you do with it is entirely up to you, but it's yours for four years. And then what we provide you on, on the way through the door is I'm full-time with hockey. Coach Petey's full-time with hockey. My goalie guy's full-time with hockey. Even though he has a job, he doesn't miss practice. Uh, our strength conditioning coach is full-time with hockey, even though he coaches other athletes. And we have three sheets at the cornerstone, and that's going to grow. Uh, we've got access to pretty much every. John Cooper said it best. When John Cooper, who now coaches Tampa Bay, um, uh, he had a player that was his captain when they won the Clark Cup named Pat McCadden. Pat McCadden's on staff right now uh, in the USHL with the Green Bay Gamblers. He's an assistant coach there. But when he was with John Cooper, Coop got him a chance to go to Michigan Tech. So it's right in the wheelhouse where Jamie gets forced out, Mel's coming in, and Patty Mel Pearson from Michigan takes that job because he didn't look like it was going to be the Michigan job. So, you know, all these things are happening. Sort of Patty Mac doesn't skate the way Mel wants him to skate, but he runs through the wall the way that John Cooper wants him to run through the wall, right? So he's a different player. Coop gets on the phone unbeknownst to me and he and he said if you end up playing division three hockey you have to play at st norbert that's a division one hockey program that plays division three those are john cooper's words those aren't my words so uh but that's how we try to treat our guys that's how we try to um build our program and you know we try to give our guys everything they need to be successful but so does the other top 10 or 15 programs in division three and that's why you see the names often recycle yeah You've got one position open on your team, whether it's a defensive position or forward position, and you've got two kids you're looking at. On paper, they look identical. What are you looking for in that one kid that you're going to choose him rather than the other one? Well, I, I think it's 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 a little deeper than that. It's not so much uh, 
number one, it, it looks at, you got to talk about the rest of your roster, right? But it isn't really, if you're watching a player play, it's more knowing the family. It's more, we've had multiple eyes on for multiple years, multiple personal conversations with every single one of these guys. It just, we have. So, you know, uh, this year, as an example, um, you'll be looking at, we'll, we'll have seen players when they played when they were 17, 18, 19, you got a little bit of backlog on who they are, who they were, whether they were decommitted from a division one situation, you know, somebody that coached that kid and you can get some inside information on who's who. Um, the only sort of hard line that we take is we're, we're not going to blow up our roster. Some guys do. We're not going to bring, you're not going to come to St. Norbert and, and have 30 guys on the roster. We're, we're not doing that. So it's, it's every year, 15 forwards, nine defensemen, three goaltenders. And the reason is, is that's one forward line who due to injury, due to, uh, whatever circumstance guys working their way in and working their way out of the lineup. You need those depth guys. And then it's nine defensemen because we can now have the extra spot. So we can play seven. Def- you can play an extra player now. You, so it's, the roster is no longer 18. It's 19. You could play an extra forward if you want. We choose to play an extra D. So we play seven defensemen every night and then your goaltenders, obviously. So, um, you know, I think our biggest asset of all the things that we're talking is our locker room. And our guys know the first thing we'll do is call our guys and say, what do you know about this guy? Well, I lived with him one year when we played juniors and boom, you'll learn a lot more information from your own players about who's who and what's what. And then, you know, we just want guys with the same kind of vision and the same. Uh, we always tell our guys, if, if you come here, you have to give us and you give us 100 percent commitment academically, athletically, weight room, classroom up and down you're going to get 100% back from us. I mean, that's just who we are as a staff. And as plainly as we're talking right now, that's how we talk with players. It's that door's always open. Sometimes the guys don't want to come and talk because they don't really want to hear what you're going to say. I mean, yeah. in some cases. Yeah. So we're trying to, you know, we're, hockey's one of the things in this, these young men. Hockey is one of the things that we coach them on. There's many other lessons along the way. I think that's for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, mentioned Cornerstone Community Center has three ice sheets. One of those ice sheets has your name on it. Yeah, tell us about tell us about that. Yeah, I, I don't like that. I, I, I don't like I think, it. I, I think that's awesome. I, I didn't like it. I, I I take it as a longtime hockey guy. I take it as a basketball thing or of <laughs> basketball or like you know you see somebody's name on a court or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I I and I had no idea it was happening the night it, that it went down. And um, you know, I I. I just you really remember, didn't know they kept no, it a secret. I, yeah, my wife, my oh. son, my daughter, all of them, and, and my that's amazing. My, yeah. yeah, and so I literally, as I'm walking out, and they called me onto the ice pregame. I looked at the other bench and I apologized to the coach that was in town because I didn't give him a heads up. Apparently, our SID had reached out to the staff and said, "Hey, by the way, there's going to be a little delay because they're going to do the." So I thought it was, you know, I mean, it, it's it, it's not my thing. It's just not my thing. Well, congratulations yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. you, you've, you deserve it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you absolutely do deserve it. You uh, have done an exceptional job in answering our questions, very articulate. And before we turned on the mics, you said that you got some advice from a former Packer who's a uh, who's a broadcaster now. Can you can you tell our listeners <laughs> yeah, who that is yeah. and what that advice was? Yeah, Larry McCarron. It was one of the very first years in town. Again, talk about one of the things that makes St. Norbert different. And we're in a community of, I mean, people think Green Bay is a big town. It's 100,000 people. I mean, it's a, it's a small town relatively. But you do have this behemoth that's called 
Lambeau Field and the Green Bay Packers. And I was inter- I did an interview with Larry McCarron, The Rock, uh, who you hear on the radio broadcast all the time. And uh, Larry was just he's very he's gruff and straight to the point and tell you how it is. And he just said, you know, just tell people what you want. To- tell the story you want to have it told. He said reporters can't stand it when you give yes or no answers and way back that goes back with larry you know to probably 1994 or something like that and so i've always been appreciative of having the media that we do have in green bay i think our program has a a different feel after the packers get beat because you know in green bay you've got division one basketball at uwgb you've got the ushl with the rush center right there st Ober college is there abc nbc cbs fox they all have full-time sports crews so lots of times on Thursday before a big playoff series you've got TV cameras in the hallway and or you're getting ready to go to a frozen four and there's a big send-off and so we do have we cross paths with a, a lot of media and I think that's one of the things that also kind of makes it unique in a division three setting and who uh who are you lucky enough to get a beer from <laughs> So, so we, we were with the right group at the right time early on my very first year, we walk into a place it's widely known then it was called Knights on Main and it was where all the Packer players hung out. And, uh, it's actually, uh, uh, Sterling Sharp and Brett Favre are behind the rail. And we walked in with Timmy Houck, who was a free safety back in the day. And, uh, we, we walked in. So we're looking over the heads towards a bard and Brett looks down and sees that, uh, one of, one of his teammates is, is with us. And he's like, you guys need a and so they sent a couple of beers over the top that uh to, uh technically brett Favre was the first guy to ever buy me a beer in town he doesn't know it but i remember it hey congratulations <laughs> yeah. so coach i just have a question for you um small school um but huge hockey reputation and you talk about having eyes on your recruits how the heck do you do that well, even if you just think about the names that we've talked about here, I mean, uh, Marco Siki, Andy Brandt, those are all guys that we've had. You know, those are your Wisconsin staff. You've got Luke Strand, who's at Mankato. We've got Drew Famulak, who's a teammate of mine, is at Ferris State. They're all over. The D1 schools are all over. So we're we're forever picking guys' brains, and they're picking up the phone saying, hey, have you seen this kid? Because this kid would be a great fit for you. I think everybody's kind of helping everybody out as you go. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at a lot of different opportunities, certainly all the showcases go to the North American preview showcase and uh, you know, they'll rattle up. Every team is playing two regular season games in Blaine uh, on the Swans uh, super rink. So they're all so the Alaska teams to the Texas teams. They're all there. You can get your eyes on the roster there and then you'll get another chance maybe to make a trip during the year. And when you build, that book year over year and you go to the bc showcase and you go to the alberta showcase and saskatchewan showcase and then the ushl all comes right through green bay you you get to see a lot of players for a long time and you can kind of you know map out who might be a fit for you you're busy it, in a good way, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. If, you're if, watching if, hockey. Yeah, you're watching yeah. hockey or you're driving to hockey or you're stopping to talk to hockey talk- guys along the way <laughs> to go watch hockey. Yeah, yes, that's a fact. Yes. We had a scout on uh, not too long ago um, who mentioned that he would get parents that would say, you know, well, this kid was good and he should have been recruited, but he was from nowhere land, so nobody noticed him. The, uh, the scout said, you know, that's not true. If this kid's good enough, we're going to find him. He's going to be in the book someplace. Do you feel the same way? 100%. Guys, whoever you were talking to is 
spot on. I mean, there's especially with the advent today, the technology of Instat and video. And I mean, there's so much more you can do right now than you could. You literally used to drive 16 hours in a car to get to Saskatchewan, to watch a game, to drive eight hours to watch another game, to drive, boom, just to see kids in person. All of your first touches now can be not in person, and then you can do your follow-up. But the reality is um, if your player is not just a good player, you're talking about an exceptional player. You're talking about, if you're talking about a kid that's going to be a scholarship kid, or you're talking about a kid that's going to play division one with the amount of eyes that are on right now. Yeah. They're not missing anybody. I mean, the NHL guys aren't missing anybody either. I mean, you're, you know, it's hockey is a long-term development sport. Some fast track. You look at the U S program. That's probably one half of 1% of the kids use my son as an example, Joseph's birth year is 06. So last year was futures draft for them. And those top U S kids played for the program this year on the, on the 60, on the young guy team, right? They didn't miss anybody. There's other really, really good. Oh, six. They're just not fast track kids. Max Celebrini right now playing in Chicago. Uh, who's an 06 Vancouver kid, but he's 06 birth year, meaning he's 16 years old right now. He's leading the league. He's got 41 goals in 45 games in Chicago in the USHL, the biggest meat grinder, junior college eligible league in North America. I mean, so it's, you're not getting overlooked at least in that in that particular case coach um you had mentioned that you you had an opportunity at Alaska Fairbanks mm-hmm. a D1 school um have you ever been tempted to reach out to any other D1 schools i i have not reached out but i uh, i did get involved in that search i did fly in and i was offered the job um and they just said too many things that they weren't being 100% truthful about like at that time and you know they weren't operating on 18 scholarships which they told everybody they were they weren't funding their assistant coach positions at the level that they told people they weren't recruiting their budget was their budget was basically what I was recruiting on at St. Albert. So I know now they had flights from air miles and different things, but they were definitely selling a tale that wasn't true. And so when I was asked by the media, you were offered the job. Why'd you turn it down? I said, cause they're underfunded in scholarship. They're underfunded on assistant coaches uh, pay and they're underfunded in recruiting. If you don't have those three things and you're supposed to compete in the CCHA, that was when Michigan and Michigan State and everybody was still in the CCHA, <laughs> and you're underfunded yeah. in those three categories, no assistant coaches, scholarship, and recruiting. Yeah. So when I turned the job down and Guy actually took the job, before Guy Godowski took the job, they were up to 18 full-time equivalencies. They had picked up the pay on the assistant side and I think doubled the recruiting budget, all boom, 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 in the next month and a half, right? Now there's been other scenarios where – and, and you've always, again, the hockey world's a small world, so you kind of know what you're getting into. And almost every case, it's been exactly that. So Susan Sandberg, uh, the AD up at Michigan Tech, before Mal came in, I met with her. We had a conversation about Michigan Tech and about what that was going to look oh, like. Sure. But everybody knew that if Mal wanted that job, it was going to be Mal's job. And that's exactly how it played out. He ended up coming back to tech and turning that program around and yep. doing exactly you know what what he can do. Um, at Northern Michigan, uh, they had called our athletic director and asked for permission. So I went up and had lunch with the administrative staff at that time. But everybody knew Walt Kyle was with the Edmonton Oilers organization, and if Walt Kyle wanted to come back to North, which he did, and take so you know when you're kind of in those tracks, you kind of see where you fit and where you don't, and you kind of have a, a pretty good idea of how it's going to play out. Um, the one that 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 still kind of baffles me a little bit, but it doesn't, it doesn't, because it it played true to form. Uh, 
I got a call from Princeton and I got a call from Princeton. Um, when Ron Fogarty got the job, Ron was coaching at, at Adrian college. And so we were competing against each other. We played the 2011 national championship game at the Ritter arena in Minneapolis against Adrian and Ron was there. Uh, and so now this goes to how many years, whatever, whatever that ter- time frame goes to be. But I get a call from a, uh, an assistant athletic director at Princeton. And they basically said, we want somebody who has been highly successful on the small private side, who understands what a campus like this academic means. Yeah. And they laid it out and they, they basically said, we're going to hire somebody with a background like yours. And I was actually up in the Yukon. My dad was a gold miner for his last years. He was up in the Yukon territory. And so I was up in the Yukon when that kind of came in. And I, I was a little bit dismissive because what I said to my wife is I said, are we going to Princeton, New Jersey? Are we going to live on the East Coast League? Like, are, you know, are we going to go live on the East Coast versus being in the Midwest and raising our family? And so I had kind of made the the decision that I wasn't going to get involved in the Princeton search. And about the next 10 days, that's what they did. They hired Ron Fogarty, who had had a high level of success at a small private and Adrian and Ron's still there today. So good for Ron. Yeah. Good for him. We've got a podcast uh, coming up in in the near future with a guy you've heard of uh, that says hello by the name of Bill Beanie. And and Bill says that uh, he'll come out of retirement if you pass his national championship rings. Just wondering if you've got a comeback for him at all. Uh, And one other thing. He's wondering when you're going to take him to a Packer game. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. So, Co- Coach Beanie, again, talk about uh, experiences in your in your coaching path. Uh, so, we, we st- I start 93-94 at St. Norbert. By 1999, we're in the NCAA tournament. And who do we draw? Uh, like five-time national champion Middlebury, and they're coming to us. And we play them uh, at the old De Pere Barn. It was before we moved to the Cornerstone. And it, it, the game, they split. It's two of the mini, and we end up in a split. We win one, they won one, and we end up in a mini game, and they beat us in a mini game. And uh, I remember just being caught off guard at how they played the game. And, you know, old school mentality, thinking about how we built our roster and how we used to think about building our teams. Start with a goaltender, work to your decor, work up, work kind of from the net out. Their decor, they they were actually running, uh, some would call it a torpedo system, more of a European flair. They played on bigger sheets. Uh, they basically ran, instead of groups of three forwards, they ran groups of three backers. Yeah. So they would run two, one, three, three, yeah. and then groups two, of two. Three. So, two, you, three. so yeah. you technically get your top forwards on the ice more, and then you're running these three backers. So... You, you'd think that's a centerman, but it's not. He's a backer, and he's coming. They were just flying up and down the ice. And ultimately, it was one of those guys that split us up the gut and scored the goal. And, and so when I came out of that weekend experience, I started thinking different about how we're going to recruit in the future. And we're going to start with defensemen who can defend, but who can absolutely activate and who are mobile and who can do all, all these other – right? So we have changed our emphasis to um, – recruiting the defensive core with the mobility that can skate uh, and, and gone away from sort of the old school. And that was a Bill Beanie-ism uh, for me. And I remember we got we were at home and we got beat and there was a knock at the door. And there's this man, he looks very unassuming. And I look up and it's Bill Beanie. And they had just won and they're going to advance. And he just came down and he said, I just want to come and check on you and see how you're doing. I mean, this is uh-huh. a, And I was like, wow, like this guy's. Yeah. So I, I think what Middlebury did during their run was – never to be replicated. They won five in a row 
and then they were off a year or two, and then they won three in a row. Yeah. And so it was like they won eight national championships in some 10, 11 years. Uh, it's just crazy. But they also, um, in 1997, 98, we were playing Stevens Point, and we were good. We were a pretty good team at the time, and they were good. Point was good. And uh, we played Point two home, two road, so four league games. And then we saw them in the NCHA playoffs, two with a mini, and it went to a mini. So that was games two, four, <laughs> that's games six and seven. And then we drew them in the first round of the NCAAs, two with a mini back-to-back. So we we literally, with mini games, we played eight regular season games against Point that year and two mini games just to get to a Frozen Four. What Middlebury and what the NESCAC schools were doing is the NESCAC had a rule that you could only play in one postseason tournament. So you had to choose. If you were going to play in the NCAA tournament, you opted out of your league playoffs. And oh, so so when what? when when Middlebury was winning national cha- – they were playing four games to win a national championship. They were playing a um, – a, a first round, a semifinal, and a final. But they were because you had two with a mini in the first round, so they would play a series two with a mini. They would be idle for two and three weeks at a time before playoffs, and then they would come in guns a blazing and play in a different style than everybody else. And so I don't, I don't think what you know what Coach Beanie did there is going to be replicated anytime. I just don't see it, um, and it's not a goal of mine to try to catch Coach. If he's come, <laughs> if he's coming to Green Bay, I'm happy to take him to a Packer game. I got no problem. Very good. All right, Coach. There it is. Just give him a call. <laughs> You've touched on. <clears throat> all these offers that you've had and you know what the future may or may not hold what what do you want what's the future in your mind uh for coach Coglin? Mm, yeah that's a good question um you know I, I, again i'm i'm grateful every day that we get to go do the things that we want to do we get to recruit the players that we want to recruit coach the game the way we want to coach the game um I think that that's a that's it's it's like not having a job in that regard. I mean, it just is. I mean, I literally played youth hockey as long as I could play, played junior hockey until I aged out and couldn't play, played college hockey until I couldn't play, played pro hockey until Vancouver said you can't play, <laughs> uh, played overseas, and then it was going to go back overseas when this coaching opportunity popped up. So I, I I've not had to work a day in my life, I've always just gone to the rink and that's kind of how it's played out. And it's certainly not by design because I will tell you straight up and anybody who knows me well will tell you I've said it for a million. I never wanted to be this guy. I never wanted to be a long-term guy. I never wanted to be a long-term division three. That was never my thing. It just, it absolutely has played its way out because of family. The other thing I I did say early on is uh, all of the gifts of hockey, the one thing it taketh away many times is your family. And this was being a hockey coach was never going to cost me my wife. It was never going to cost me my family. It just never, I I could, I could come and do podcasts with you guys and hang out. Uh, It's just not going to cost me my family. Right. So um, I've always had that sort of value i think in terms of uh the importance for us so when we're married 32 years i got a 16 year old and a 14 year old so we we started our family together later in life um and that now is the driving force for what we're doing here next you know uh so i'll be at st norbert as long as they'll 
my key still works on the door and uh you know i can i can watch my son now play at, at notre dame academy and they won the state championship this year went 28 no what an incredible run for those guys and um now drew shock one of their young guys signed with the development program so we, we know he's going to be we know a couple of their players are ushl bound and some other junior bound so it's an exciting time this has been a blast Wow, what a hell of a legacy. You know, I, I guess, JC, the thing that I that I think about the most when I listen to Coach talk, you know, he talks about having the right guy as the assistant always, right? Just happen to get the right guy and, and having the right players and just how does that happen? And, and the thing that, uh, and, and talking to the other D1 coaches, hey, does this guy fit with you or is he good fit with us? You know, he's got connections, and the only way you make those connections is to build solid relationships with people. So that tells me a lot about him. He's a relationship guy. Yeah. You know, people always come back, and you keep those lines of communication going, and, uh, you know, it's been magical for you, Coach. Well, that, that's, you know, now if you look at our alumni base, our alumni base is marvelous. Like, the guy, there are over 30 families who have located themselves out of the green bay area uh and are raising their families there so it's it's something you know christmas eve morning like you have water out here we have water and if the water is frozen we'll have a skating party for the kids out on the ice but this year obviously we didn't so it's in-house it's at the cornerstone we had like 78 people for our christmas morning skate christmas eve morning skate uh and opened up the locker room so you've got little people just putting skates on for the first time all the way up to the high school guys and uh it's it, it's very rewarding again to see what your men are doing in uh in life and how well they're adjusted and how they're working in the community and giving lots of hockey coaches in that group of guys yeah. uh, i think at one time there was over 30 different guys who were coaching youth hockey in around the Green Bay area. And that went all the way up to when Petey was with the Gamblers. So from the highest level of USHL all the way through, and then a couple of guys are coaching high school. Um, so it's, it's, it's it, like I said, it's just, it's been fun. Well, it says a lot about your character. You that's know, for sure. The guys have so much respect for him. They want to come back and show him how, how well they're doing because he had such a big part of their success. Coach, thank you very much for the time you spent with us today. It's been fabulous. Guys, I, I appreciate being able to come to the the home the mothership here and see it all in person. So I feel like I've been mothership. boom. It's like beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> all right, folks. Please remember to say hi to our sponsors when you drop in on them from the breakout sessions. And when you listen to us, please leave a comment or give us a thumbs up. It really helps us stay in the game. Mogi. Hey, a huge thank you to our featured guest today, Coach Tim Coglin. As well as you folks, our audience, please remember to stop in on our sponsors, Market and Johnson, Parker Insurance, Valley Sports Academy, Northwoods Therapy Associates, and Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Follow us on your favorite social media platforms as well as YouTube. And remember, folks, until next time, stay on your inside edges.